All right. Hi there. Hey. How are you? <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I feel refreshed. I took a shower because I had my first in-person meeting today in two months. Very cool. Yeah, weird. It was at the park near Erewhon. Probably not far from you. Yeah, it's not too far. Yeah, I'm ready for things to open up and get back to normal a little bit. Yeah, it was weird. Like, no one was wearing a mask, and I thought, are you supposed to? Yeah. Nobody was in that park. They do near me in the hiking trails. Oh, in West Hollywood, they'll, they'll yell at you if you're not. Some people will. Yeah, Just, none, of, none of them were. Like, a group that will yell at you. Wow, yeah, I was like. Mine around my neck and pull it up and down as I walk, or if I see people. I know. I thought I like missed the memo. I'm like, are we done with the pandemic? <laughs> no one was wearing a mask and the park was like crowded. That's because everyone's ready to get out of their house. Yeah, and start breathing without a mask on. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I am going to start the live stream on Facebook. Okay. So this is a step-by-step -step process here. So Have you done a Facebook Live yet? Um, not exactly like this. Okay. Yeah. And we've done it a couple of times when I'm doing exhibitions, but much more casual and just wondering. Oh, got you. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool that Zoom like integrated with Facebook so you can get a good recording through Zoom but still go live this way. Okay, so I am going to tag you. I'm going to say Todd Artist here live with me. Okay, I will tag you. And I'm hitting go live. All right. And then it tells you on Zoom, do you see? Yep. <laughs> it's so exciting. And then I'll make sure we're actually on because there's like a little bit of a delay. Okay, it looks like we are. We are live on Facebook. Okay, so now we'll do the Instagram part and <laughs> just get that done. Okay, so do you know how to request somebody when they go live? You've done, you've done that before. Uh, maybe. Okay, well, it's easy. So you'll see me. So put, put the, your headset in, like, with the phone. I'm ready. Okay, cool. Oh, I, I couldn't see. Sorry. Okay. All right, I have not gone live yet, so I'm about to. Um, Todd Williamson. All right, checking connection. I'm now live, but it's there's a delay, so it's gonna alert you in a second that humanizing the icon has gone live. They're telling my followers now. Do you see yet? Mm, yes, I do. Okay, perfect.
And then once we're connected through Instagram, we can turn our computers down. Okay. I see the movie running on Humanize Me icon. Oh, okay. Someone might have posted it. I haven't seen you request me yet, though, have you? No. How do I do that? Oh, okay. So you saw me go live. Are you watching me live right now on Instagram? No. Oh, okay. I see your, your thing hasn't popped up yet. It's, it took me to humanizing the icon. I am live, though. I can end it and start over. Let me delete video. Okay, I'm going to go again. On yours, Jennifer, or is it on humanizing the icon? We'll humanizing up. the icon. Yeah, I don't see it. Okay, so I, I, I turned it off. I'm going to start over. So I'm going live right now on humanizing the icon. I'm now live. It's uh, notifying my followers. And... Well, unless you're soccer Bible, I don't think that's it's still not sure. <laughs> I am live, though. It says, hang on, we're telling your followers to join. Let me see if I can like tag you or something. Uh, and you're sure you follow that page. The, your page? The humanizing the icon page. Yeah, I am following it. Okay. Um. Oh no, there we go. I wasn't, I thought I was. Yeah. Okay, so request, you can request me now if you see that I'm live. You can touch the little icon up top and join my chat. There we go. Yay, I was like, <laughs> technology. So we're almost ready, people. Okay, so now you're, you've joined. Did you, did you request? I see that you're, I'm waving at you. Okay, good job. Like a five second delay between the yes. video here and on there. there but you you've go. done it, you've done it. And soon I shall see your face pop up here. All right. Yay! Okay, so now we can turn our computers down so there's no feedback. Perfect. All right, computers down. I see your face in both places. How are you feeling? <laughs> I, I, now that I have it all set up, I feel pretty good. Okay, good. Well, you look good. You look fresh. I don't know about that. And so, yeah, I, I sometimes tell people it's like having, you know, being on a stage and having an audience. Like you can look in the computer, you can look at the phone, choose one or none or whatever. <laughs> um, so how has this time been for you? I'm sure that's like the first question everybody asks, but as an artist, especially, I just like to know how creatively charged it's been or what has been coming up for you. You know, I, most artists that I've talked to, the day-to-day the -day is not too different because you spend so much time alone anyway. You're in your studio and I don't have studio assistants and most of the artists I work, I know don't have studio assistants, so it's just me. The, the difference is I usually balance my life out a lot where I have so uh, very solo days and then I have my social things at night and visit all my friends and it gives me a balance in my life. Now there's no balance. <laughs> 
It's just mm-hmm. all isolation. Have you been dealing with it? Because you just moved here. Um, I mean, LA has always been like another home to me. I, you know, I moved here at 17. I shot my movie here. So, and I've spent lots of time here over the last like 20, or even since I was a kid. So long, long time. But, um, so it feels very comfortable, but I had just gotten a place to actually base myself rather than be a nomad like right at March 1st. So I'm very happy to have like a base. Um, but like you as a, as a creative person, uh, depending on the stage of the project, there is, uh, I do work from home. Um, but I think also it's interesting to, to ask, how has the work been affected too? Like, what do you notice in what's actually coming out? Do you notice any kind of nuance that's different for you? Well, my work had already started to change a bit after uh, last year because I have, as you know, I I had the Venice Biennale and then I had Mm -hmm. a a very big art prize that I won and it allowed me to start really questioning what I was doing and to change the direction. And then I had an interview by a, a reporter for I was supposed to be doing a show April 2nd in New York and I was interviewed and the reporter made some comments about things that I was dealing with in my art that probably came over from uh, when I was much younger and being from the south and and, uh, all these different things and I thought oh my god she nailed it so then it really pushed me to come back and push myself and allow because I'm a control freak and it comes through in my art and up to this uh, part of the control was these these parallel lines that I did in my work that were part of the oils and I realized that I don't need that control so much so one of the things that did happen was that pretty much disappeared Mm. so it's a big change in my work how does that feel it's very freeing. Uh, I, I had someone a long time ago tell me, you know, a lot of times when an artist develops a, a distinct style, like, you know, it's my style. But then when you do that, you kind of box yourself into a corner because that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Or you feel like that's what you had to do. Mm-hmm. For me, this allowed me to step out of that box for the first time in my life and just paint. So mm-hmm. it's a really good thing. But the, the bad thing is that it's been in total isolation and only a few people have seen them and the few that have, it's just been on, on uh, mostly through photographs and stuff, which is not the same. Yeah, the time is coming. Exactly. So it's good. I mean, I, I think that for any artist, this is a really important time to be alive because, you know, as an artist, you're getting, no matter what you do, you're living through one of the most historical times that has ever existed for millennium. So it's a time to really be true to what you feel and, and to put it in your art and bring it through. And you don't have to make a statement about COVID, but you can really make statements about I mean, everything right now is so crazy. Society's crazy. The political system's crazy. The instructions we get, like you and I were talking earlier that, you know, you weren't positive. Were we still, were we still in COVID lockdown? Because <laughs> yeah. People are not wearing masks. But, and you, I think as an artist, you respond to all that. So now's a good time to do that. Do you feel a sense of responsibility as an artist to be 
documenting yeah. this in, in your in your form in your medium well i'm not a political artist i don't no. i don't do that but i ask questions mm -hmm. and i think it's very important and it, with my art i ask questions and a lot of times i gear my exhibitions around questions that are pertinent to society like the Venice Biennale, we were really kind of pointing out and asking, did you realize, do you realize how much power certain social media people have? Uh, do you know how many followers Kylie Jenner has? Do you know that Oprah could make you a, a number one selling author, even if you don't write? You know, <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump could start a war with a tweet. I mean, these, there's so much power that exists mm. in society now, and people don't even have to do anything except tweet. So... Uh, you know, I like to ask questions. I like people to think about the world we live in because we're the ones that give them that power. So we have to be aware of what we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And that's where we met just in terms of backstory or we didn't actually meet in the flesh, but I was, um, our art met. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in, I was in Venice, um, showing artwork from my movie about Mary Pickford and it was the theme was humanizing the icon which is also the name of this chat series and i wandered into your exhibit um without knowing you or your work yet and felt a connection instantly because i think in some way we were both kind of deconstructing this idea of icon or this idea of like right. you said that power that we give to these beings that um are really just just like us <laughs> you know exactly and, and that show was really great can you can you talk about that the process of coming up with that because there was actually it felt a little bit cinematic to me i mean there was music there was like a soundscape and it um it was minimalistic in one way but also really had so much depth you know well, the minimal part was mostly due to the extreme shoestring budget we had. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was but, cool, yeah. Well, we did a lot with what we had. The, 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 we had started putting together the, the, the idea behind the, the show uh, about a year before the, the Biennale. Because you have to apply, you have to be asked, and then you have to apply, and then once you apply, you have to have a foundation uh, that supports you and presents you. And the name of the show was Processional, and we were uh, on at the big church on the Grand Canal, just off of uh, St. Mark's Square. So, it, what happened was. I had to find a foundation, which I worked with the Mac Center for Art and Architecture here in West Hollywood, and uh, the director curated the exhibition. So then she wrote the curatorial statement, which we had to send to the Biennale, and then it it went through a, uh, various committees, and then it had to go through the director, who was Ralph Rugoff, and he had to approve it. Wow. And then once he approved it, it had to go to the Biennale committee, and then they had to approve it, and then it had to go to some other committee. And so we didn't get... Uh, a, a yes that we were in the Biennale until the Friday after Christmas and the Biennale opened May the 8th. So in that time period, you have an enormous amount of money you have to raise. And, and we had to, you know, I had two paintings painted at that time. So all the paintings were painted. I did work with a, a musician. I, I worked with a composer and he and I put together the, the music and the art and uh, because it was one statement, I wanted the music to, to sound like the emotion that you were seeing from the art. So when you walked mm -hmm. through, you could get, you could, you, 
hear it and see it. A lot of times with art, especially with abstract art, people want to, they don't understand why. They, well, what is it? I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. But with music, no matter how abstract it is, people just accept the emotion they hear. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was important to me just to give people something that they could come in and it was, a, I, I think, it was a very peaceful, contemplative experience because the church was, it was Vivaldi's church. Uh, Vivaldi's the one that wrote The Four Seasons and the acoustics were amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I ended up getting the Pollock Krasner Foundation was one of my supporters and gave me a, a very big award called the Pollock Prize for Creativity, which I wasn't expecting. So mm -hmm. it was, it was a cool, probably the most stressful year of my entire life trying to put all that together, but amazing experience. Now you say you were on a shoestring budget and I relate as an independent filmmaker. Was there components that were part of your grand vision that didn't get realized in that expression of that work? Well, I mean, literally the Biennale, uh, everyone thinks of the Biennale if you're invited as an artist that they pay for something, they pay for nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to, before all of it happened, I had to choose the space. So I had to fly to Venice and I visited all these different spaces. Uh, there was no lighting in the church. The lighting that exists, the wires were hanging out of the fixtures because the church is so old. I had to sign a contract stating that I wouldn't even put nails in the walls. So, and I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to hang paintings without putting nails in the wall? It's in old Todd. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And it ended up not being a big deal. But the stress of thinking that I'm going to go there and have to figure out how to hang these giant eight-foot paintings from fishing lines somehow mm -hmm. was crazy. But, you know, I had to create, I had to design my own lighting, in fact. So the lights that wow. were in the space were things that I had ordered on Amazon, Italy, and had them shipped in, and they had to have stands made, and then they had to be uh, rewired once they got there. So they, they met the Italian standards, and they had to be low voltage and low heat, and yada, 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 yada. So it, it was insane. I really lucked out in some ways. So like Dexabel sponsored me and gave us this amazing electric piano that uh, they donated for the whole thing. And, and Dexabel, Dexabel is kind of like, uh, they're the biggest concert piano in all of Europe. They, they did wonderful. They were so amazing. They, the president and, and his partner came and they set up the piano. They delivered it personally. Wow. And, I got Orb Audio, gave me uh, these wonderful little speakers. And, you know, so I got a lot of things donated and uh, it, that all worked well, but a lot of this stuff didn't come together literally until three weeks before we opened. <laughs> so the stress wow. was crazy. And that we had other crazy things too. I think I told you this, but one of my patrons who was throwing <laughs> one last big fundraiser, uh, we had the board of directors from the, uh, museum here in Los Angeles and all these different collectors and curators and this was supposed to be Sunday at 4 30 so at two o'clock on Sunday I go up to take canvases <laughs> to his house and find him dead I know it was yeah. crazy I mean the That's stress alone between first of all losing someone that I'd known for 30 years then finding him dead and then th that was also my last remaining fundraiser to pay for everything so it was crazy how did you even process that honestly this is kind of like an existential question but like what the heck ran through your mind did you walk in did you was this door well, open like what happened 
we, after waiting at his house, he lives up in the hills here uh, above sunset. He's not someone that's ever late. And I, we got there, you know, I, it was around 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then by 2, 2.15, I couldn't get him on the phone. So we knew something was wrong. So mm. we literally climbed over the fence down the hill and then went through a sliding glass door that was open. And that's how we found it. Wow. Crazy. I don't know. Processing it was really difficult because I thought, wow, this is, the timing is insane. It was two hours before the, the party. So. I know, but... I, he needed to be found, huh? Like, you know, it all, it all, everything has a purpose, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that was at this point because it was, it was, that, that was intense. Surreal, surreal, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How long was your show up in in Venice? We opened May the 8th to a soft opening, May the 10th to the big opening, and then it stayed up through November 24th. So a little over seven months. Wow. That's we incredible. had over 100,000 visitors through the space in that time. So it That's... was very well received. And have you had a show since then? I mean, that was obviously kind of right before this all went down with the pandemic. Well, I had been contacted by a museum in Germany about bringing the Biennale exhibition there, but they wanted to open in October, so I couldn't bring down the exhibition, so we had to recreate it. So I did a big exhibition at this museum. It's in Singen, Germany, which is close to Zurich, mm. uh, and that opened October the 31st, and then I also did shows in uh, at, at this gallery in Ulm, Germany, called Beja and then was getting ready to do this big show in New York, April 2nd. And so I had five exhibitions scheduled between April and May and they were all postponed indefinitely. <laughs> yeah, it's like musicians, you know, going on tour. Yeah, I saw where they, they're kind of opening that up back up in uh, Nashville though, allowing some of the, the music venues to have bands and live, but they're limiting the number of performers, which I've find odd mm -hmm. the tables and everything else but at least it's kind of starting to, to to do something again and move along yeah some are like 10 percent capacity or something like some really low number would feel very ghost-like i guess yeah i think it'll it'll open up fairly quickly because it seems like things have have, have rounded the curve a little bit mm-hmm so what about the, the celebrities or pop culture icons that you chose for that exhibit? Like you said, Oprah, Donald Trump, Kylie Jenner. Can you talk a bit about how you chose them or what spoke to you in terms of each one or a couple of them? Well, we, the, the curator was Priscilla Frazier and she wanted to use people that had a huge social media following mm. and, um, one of the, so we chose like Kylie Jenner because I, I think Kylie has what, 300 million followers or something mm. insane. I don't even know. But we also chose people like Pope Francis because, I, you know, relatively speaking, Pope Francis has a billion people that follows him. And he, I wanted people that had a very strong um, name recognition that people would immediately go, oh, Pope Francis or Elon Musk or Oprah. And then I wanted to just pose that question of, have you thought about how much power they have? Mm 
And then what the what we did to bring the exhibition around a little bit was um, with each person we had a plaque in the church across from the painting that was a, a quote from that person. And but we what we did was translate it into the Latin. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and then didn't and then didn't tell people what the Latin actually meant. We just wanted them to kind of stand there, and there were a lot of people that knew Latin, which was surprising. Mm -hmm. But we had a lot of you know, like the Italians really would go, "Oh, this Latin's not exactly right." I'm like, "How do you translate Kylie Jenner into Latin? It doesn't." Yeah. Quite... Her quote was something to do with, uh, "If you find something," and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember it exactly. If you find something unusual about yourself and you like that unusual, I find that dope. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. translate well to Latin. Yeah, but something about em embracing being weird or embracing your yeah. individuality. Which was a very good quote. I, and, and with all of them, we didn't take any, like even with, with Trump, we didn't take one of any of his weird things that he said. We literally used a quote from when he won the presidency and it was something to the effect of, um, I, I don't remember his at all, but it was something about that if he could become president, anybody could do it, you know? So, Is that, that's what he said? Yeah. That's funny. Which is relatively tame for anything for, that he says. And like with yeah. Elon Musk, we used a thing that I thought was very telling about him and his power. His was, um, it's okay to put all of your eggs in one basket as long as you control the basket. And I thought, wow, that's very apropos for him. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I got all the translations of every single quote. Um, <laughs> And I think that's how we connect to speaking of social media, um, which I'm like fairly new to in terms of really getting familiar with the features and really what a tool it is. I mean, as a director, I'd been told for years that I needed to up my game in social media and I didn't. Um, but that's how you and I connected. Yeah. I, I posted something about your show and, and I think posted one of the quotes word for word that resonated with me and I was really really excited to discover your work because I just felt like there was something really powerful in there you know there is a power in this idea of icon and yeah. I wanted to ask you too what is that word just as a word conjure for you well you know, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's in more in my world than in your world and and he said something about well, you know, I think of icons as being like, uh, who did he say? James Dean or Marilyn Monroe. But he said, don't, don't you think the younger people, they don't really even know who a lot of these people are. He goes, don't you think they probably think of like Britney Spears or not? Well, now she's kind of old too for the young. So <laughs> maybe something like, maybe Katy Perry. So for me, an icon is someone who, who, it exerts a part of society that's really important at a moment in time for something about them captures that in a very big way. Like even going to your, your film and Mary Pickford, mm -hmm. she was very much ahead of the game with everything that she did with, uh, you know, as I was researching some things about her, because I didn't know too much about her myself. Mm -hmm. She, she exemplified that, that statement a lot. She was so ahead of most people at that, that time. 
so there's something about being a visionary and kind of um, like the Warhol vibe of kind of yeah. knowing maybe some it's not as conscious as it was with Warhol but it don't you think with him it was a bit calculated in the sense that he needed a certain level of adoration but he was very brilliant in figuring out what society wanted to be fed and he sort of to the point of the term Warholian coming into existence because it was like he kind of knew about the 15 minutes and this like hunger for for fame so that's like a specific like the mission to be famous I feel like with with Warhol he kind of figured out how to tap into the social zeitgeist and then other people um just do it or maybe they're not really doing it timing. it's, also, it's timing a lot of timing and and yeah and, and then capturing something accidentally a lot of time like I even think that a lot of the stuff with Warhol you know he accidentally came up up with the silk screens and that was what people wanted to see was this pop art so he defined a generation but you know had he done that 10 years before or 10 years after you might never have heard of it right and then also what he chose to put in those right screens that was interesting i mean campbell soup can marilyn monroe so he obviously had a sense of of what people wanted more of and it was so simple, so simple to the point that some people question, is it really art? You know, because he's just, he was just stenciling. And it's like, is that, what do you think about that when people say that's not really art? Um, well, art is an emotion. It's an expression. That's all art ever is. So people can say, I mean, people say that about different types of music. They don't like my, you know, your parents might not like rock and roll or they might not like, uh, uh, hip hop or whatever. So to them, that's not art, but it is art. It, mm -hmm. Art is art is very personal, and I don't think you can. I personally, I think when someone says something like that, my first thought is, God, they're stupid. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, I, and then I go, no, 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 they're not. It, they, they just that's where they are in their life, and that's okay. Agreed. Yeah, I think that I think that the we're all art. You know, life is art. Right. And so well, I think artists too, you know, no matter what you do in the arts, you're, you have a, this need to express yourself. And like for me, I express myself through color and, and movement and the, the way I lay out a, a work. Mm -hmm. And with you, it's, it's through the way you do your film and what you say and how you write it and how you make the characters change. And every artist, and I don't, you know, sometimes that can be very, very difficult way to go through life, needing to express yourself to such a degree. <laughs> it, it is who we are, right? Absolutely. Have you, I don't know much about your backstory. Childhood, were you also expressing yourself through art well i was a uh, my dad uh, i grew up in a very very small rural town in north alabama i mean we were the nearest town was 500 people or so and we were five miles from there mm. so i went to school with 52 people Whoa. So, but you know when i was 12 years old my dad started taking me to get guitar lessons and then by the time i was 14 i'd started a rock band so you know nice. been, i was the always doing the musician or the something or other. And then my undergrad is actually in music. And I, I went to Belmont and Nashville and studied music and art. 
So yeah, I think that I was always just this person. And it, it, there was a point when I got to LA that I, you know, I never thought I could make a living as an artist. Sometimes I still wonder that, but yeah. you know, you, you struggle with that question on, because it's a very difficult thing to, to be a, a full-time artist in anything because you really do give up um, a consistent uh, money flow. You don't have, I mean, you, you gain a lot, but you have to deal with a lot of other things too. Did that yeah. make any sense at all? Cause that, that statement went around the block, I think. <laughs> hey, we're artists. We don't have to be linear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> um, it's good to flow. But also in terms of like constraints, and we talked about money a little bit, um, money as a constraint. But another one we touched on on our phone call was um, feeling sort of a struggle sometimes in terms of being able to preserve our creative integrity as artists yeah. because of how we're being funded or just other political or social or circumstantial components. Like, can you talk about where you feel resistance or constrained in just the process today of being an artist? Well, I think I can answer that, but with a question as, as, you know, if you have money to do something, then that gives you the freedom to do everything that comes through. If you don't have the money or the funds to do a project fully through, then you, you have to cut corners and do things. And it's also like when, when you get to where you depend on your art to bring in the money, mm -hmm. then you sometimes will gear what you're doing toward what you know sales which isn't always the best art. So it's a very fine balance that all artistic people have to do. You know, you have to find a, a place where you're happy with what you're doing and you feel like it's, it's fulfilling that need in your soul, but you still have to make a living and pay your rent. So it, 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 I'm not sure that people that aren't artists understand that. Do you, do you think they do entirely? Because you know that most people get a, they get a check you know, twice a month and it's the same amount of money. They know what to live on. They know how to do it. They don't have, you know, like for me, every, when I, when I make a lot of money, it was so funny. I heard an artist and it was a big artist talking about, Oh, Sam Gilliam. And Sam was talking about how he would, whenever he would make a big sale, he would go immediately to the art store and buy a truckload full of supplies. So he'd have them in case he didn't make any other sales. And he's a huge artist. And I thought, wow, I do that too. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're all in it together, right? I mean, if you were doing your film and and you had an unlimited budget, I'm sure it would have been a, a, there would have been different things because you could have used more expensive cameras or you could use more lights or you could have used music that you paid you had to pay uh, royalties to and all this kind of stuff. So it, it just changes. I, I see artists that are huge, right? And they're doing. Sky bridges, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there was an artist who did fireworks to the sky and I thought god that project's so amazing But only someone with his budget could do that you can I can envision it But I couldn't pull it off because I don't have the money and I don't mm -hmm. have the support under me to go here Here's a, a two million dollars to do that. So I think yeah. that's always part of it 
Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's interesting because it's like, I can appreciate what my movie became because of, you know, creative solutions that had to be revealed in order to work with the, with the resources that we had, you know? And actually right. it brought me closer to Mary Pickford's early days um of how they shot minimalistically and how they really had to to be very conscientious about um what props they utilized because they didn't have a, a lot it wasn't like you feel you they didn't fill a frame you know so the fact that like they were minimalistic gave me permission to be minimalistic and then i got i went deeper into memory because of course when you're recalling a memory from your life you don't, re you don't remember every detail of the hotel room. You don't remember, you remember the things that were, let's say iconic to you, you know? Maybe right. you had a big dramatic phone call. So you might remember the phone or the wallpaper, but not really what the bed looked like. Or So I kind of started playing with the movie set as her psyche and what would she recall, you know? And yeah. so in the end- You MacGyver it. Well, I actually made the movie closer to what I really wanted to make than when we had the $25 million, we had that level of budget um, script. Of course, the script started out as a $25 billion, more conventional biopic. But actually, that wasn't really my style, you know? So if I knew the vision if the vision had crystallized in terms of what the movie did become earlier in the process, and I had $25 million to do that movie, <laughs> what would I have done with it? But I wouldn't have wanted to make the $25 million version before realizing what my actual vision was. Does that make sense? Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? I, because sometimes I think when you have to really pay attention to the minute details because of budget constraints or whatever, you actually get very creative in what you're doing. You know, like uh, I, I found that when I was doing Venice, that was the one thing that we had to do because there, the once we got there, I had a little over two weeks to pull everything together. So if there anything was like when I got there, I had always been, you know, the at the end of the, the chapel, there was an altar. And I thought there, there's a big altar table, right? And my vision was to always put this huge painting on top of the altar uh, as part of the chapel. And uh, then I get there and it's not an altar table, it's a reliquary and it's got bones. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still don't know whose bones were in it, but you know, as a respect thing, we could not put anything on the altar. So we had to, I had to de design a float system so that huge painting would float in front of this reliquary and and still pay reverence to it because we're in a chapel so it, it but that was i think you do that when you don't have the the money to like throw it all up you know i could have easily yeah. money i could have built a wall and we just hung the paintings on it and not touched anything but that's just not the way it works most of the time yeah so it's interesting what things come out sort of like almost better and then what thing it's just an interesting kind of paradigm and then also yeah. 
messaging? Like, do you ever find that you're asked or feel like you need to dilute the messaging or the emotion of something in order to make something more accessible? Accessible, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, going back to Venice, um, my vision in this was always to use the, uh, I, in all of the paintings, I use the imagery of a, a sword hilt. And uh, in my brain, that was very clear. This is a, this was the way of saying, this is my life, this is what I've done from each of the people that I was discussing, right? But I had a lot of people that saw upside down crosses and I'm like, it's not a cross. And they're like, oh, this is bad. I'm like, it's not a cross. Just, <laughs> yeah, so if you want to see a cross, you can go argue with yourself <laughs> about what that means, but that has nothing to do with what I painted. Mm -hmm. So there were, there were a couple of the pieces that I, uh, as once I finished them, I went back and made the imagery more subtle just simply so that wasn't something that I had to then discuss all the time because mm. for me that wasn't important because it wasn't what it was but I also didn't want that to take away from what I was trying to say in the exhibition with people going, oh it's an upside down cross it's like it's not a cross <laughs> yeah that's interesting that's interesting because Mary Pickford wrote a book um which to me is about universal love and love as the highest frequency. But the name of the book is Why Not Try God? And- Oh, I, I saw that on your thing. And I was replacing the word God with love because that's actually what she does articulate in the text. Sometimes she's using the word God, sometimes she's using the word love, but she's actually talking about the frequency. Um, and so, I had that same kind of contemplation, like what does God conjure for people? And is that going to become like the focal point when actually it's just a word and you, everyone means something kind of different when they talk about it, you know? Right. Yeah. It takes on a whole new meaning with different people. And I think it also takes on a different meaning uh, where you live and how the community around you views all of those different things. I also read that, that Mary Pickford was raised Methodist and then was converted to Catholicism because after her father died and all this stuff, which I thought was, oh, that's interesting. Because I don't think she actually related to any of that. No, in, not really, no. <laughs> so it was very interesting. She's fascinating. She is, yeah, she was very spiritual. She studied Buddhism, she studied Christian science, she was like into different philosophies and just kind of, that's how she got to universal love because she realized that at the root of all of them, there's this pearl, you know, this kind of gem, which has to do with love. And so um, she wasn't really into religion as an institution or right. a, a, a denomination, so to speak. Um, she wasn't anti, just wasn't her thing, but she, she liked studying them, which was cool. I relate to that for sure. That's great that you did even some research on her. Thank I, you. you know, I always want to feel like I know what I'm talking about. Well, I didn't say we were going to talk about her, but it's nice to, it's nice to bring her up. Tomorrow's actually her death day. And oh, wow. she died the same year I was born. So. I didn't realize that she had lived to be, she was, 
relatively older. Like, what was she, 87 maybe? Yeah, good job, Todd. Hey, I did my research. You are so good. <laughs> she died 41 years ago tomorrow, and I'm turning 41 this year. Yeah. Wow. She died cool. in 1979, and um, yeah, she was 87, and she had just gotten a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Um, I think that in 76, in 76, so the year before she died. Yeah. Yeah, she well, where, was, Where's she the was, film going to be shown next? You're doing a, a, seri a, a, a web series, right, with the, yeah. with the movie? So we have now um, a web ser series and a movie, which is kind of cool when you talk about budgets to be like, oh, now I have a series and a movie. <laughs> yeah. You get two for the price of one. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, you know, the landscape is changing and a lot of features are being turned into web series and I like to be cutting edge. So I figured let's give it a whirl, but also the movie was shot as vignettes. And so it sort of magically works as these webisodes where each one ends on a um, climactic beat and possibly someone who's more into like linear storytelling because the movie is, you know, an art piece and sort of blurs the mediums with, um, the theater and cinema uh, might find this version more digestible, the web series version, because they're short episodes and they feel more dramatic. They feel more heightened in a way, whereas the feature is kind of like a stream of consciousness too. So it's a different pacing. It's, it's just interesting. So we're trying it out and we're releasing a couple episodes tomorrow, actually on her death day. We have some partners and brands and different strategies in play so yeah we're excited about Congratulations. it That'll be i cool. never could have imagined it i was always that like i'm a dinosaur i only make movies for the big screen and like can't get me to tweet like you know <laughs> but some psychic was like i used you know, to think that too <laughs> really are you tweeting oh, now yeah. Nah, well my tweets are connected to my instagram so yes no. Oh, I didn't even know that was possible. So you're ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> how does it even translate? Isn't Twitter like its own language? Like, how does that work? To be honest, I've never followed Twitter too much. Uh, okay. Someone connected everything for me. So I, I don't have a clue. I, Twitter to me is kind of boring because I'm, I'm so visual. I want to see. Like, yeah. I love Instagram for that reason. But uh, I don't know. I just figured they all connect. I might as well, might as well connect them and chat. <laughs> so it's such a different world right now. Um, yeah. But in terms of humanizing the icon, so that's like another word to throw into, you know, you as Todd and you as an artist, like what is humanizing bring up for you? Just the word like off the bat. Uh, I, I think that that really, uh, that's a way that allows you to relate to someone. It, it, it breaks down these barriers or these preconceived ideas of who you think someone is. And, you know, if you humanize someone, you can relate to them. If you don't humanize them, you can't relate to them on any level. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it's, it's almost, it's a bridge uh, emotionally to how we look at people and how you deal with them. Yeah. And do you think this Corona pandemic time 
is like a humanizing time? I, I, I think it's going to do a couple of different things. Yes. And some people have really come out of this with grace and dignity as we're coming out of it. And then other people I see have really forgotten how to, that it's not just them. I see them in the grocery store. I, there, yesterday there was a lady in the grocery store who cut in front of me and then put her stuff down and then went back and went shopping and left this whole line of people. And I'm thinking, wow, you need to go back into isolation. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, bye. <laughs> Yeah, and people driving, and they forget to look for other people when they're driving. So I think it's going to be interesting. It'll it, it's going to highlight what was already there in a lot of people's personalities. Yeah, um, and as artists, again, actually bringing it back to Mary Pickford, because um, she founded United Artists, and a lot of people forget because it became such a big studio that the original philosophy was about artists uniting and creative integrity, not dumbing down content for the masses, but really provoking the public and, and transcending um, the current zeitgeist. So in terms of artists uniting, like how do you feel about that? What does that mean to you for artists to come together to share ideas or resources or just to talk about where we're at? Well, I think that I've always thought that was such an important thing. And for me, um, I love these deep philosophical art discussions that I get into and with, with some of my friends. And I think that that's something that had kind of gone away for a little while. Not entirely, but, you know, I, the, the idea of sitting with someone and having a discussion about a, a really creative, crazy thing needs to happen more often because you you might not agree on everything but in, in disagreeing you you might come up with a really clever creative idea that you wouldn't have fully formed out without doing that like for me when we were doing the, the venice project i would sit with the curator and i have a, a little small studio and i had eight enormous paintings in a 20 by 20 space so i had painting stacked on stacked and then some paintings I painted on the front and the back in order to have space and you know the 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 whole curation came about very naturally because we would sit and just talk about uh, different parts of it and as we talked about one part and really got into it and, and and supporting the project other things would come out and I think that you know I we I did a an arts zoom chat on tuesday and one of the things that we talked about a lot was uh salons and mm, uh, where that. artists all get together and you, you know you have coffee or you have a glass of wine and you sit and there's no no pressure to discuss anything you don't have to discuss art you can discuss politics or you can discuss the weather and but that that opens that it's it it fills a void that most mm. artists have. So I think that especially now it's so so needed. I agree with you, and that's um, a scene in our movie too. I don't know if you got to that point in the film when it really is the birth of kind of the salon and and Bohemia in a way because we didn't really have an art movement here yet. It was Hollywood became like our surrealist art movement and Chaplin you know, was like an art piece unto himself and Pickford and they were hanging out with Einstein and all kinds of characters and um, just talking about everything from relativity to, 
to is cinema art like what at that time they didn't even know is the moving image art like are we creating art you know because when they first started it was really considered a job for immigrants and poor people and wasn't considered creative like at all so i love this it feels very um what's the word like almost indigenous and tribal and like something we have to keep keep up is like getting together and having these conversations because I think it just expands, you know, where we're at and just kind of um, feels good. I think it well, feels good. artists are always who support other artists. I mean, if you need something, Jennifer, you're going to turn to a, another director or an, an actor that you know and, and ask their advice or ask if they know how to do it or do they know someone that can, can get you to where you need to go. That's what I do. You know, I don't really, I have a, a, a couple of artist friends that I know that I can call and say, you know, I need a new gallery in Shanghai. Do you know someone? And if they do, they'll go, yeah, of course, let me hook you up. And, and then it, it at least starts the ball happening. If I go about and research galleries in Shanghai and then send out a, a cold email, they don't answer, they don't talk. But it, and I find that, that that's the thing that's the most important in the art world is the connection to other artists mm -hmm. and staying uh, and supporting each other. Because uh, I don't, I personally don't feel like I most, I don't feel like any of my friends are my competition. You know, if, if I'm in a great collection, I want their work to be there because their work makes my work look good, you know, and I hope my work makes their look, work look good. So it's, it's, it's I, I've always found that so important and it, 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 I've never quite been able to understand why that's not just a universal way of looking at it. Yeah, I agree. And I think also exposing those conversations and ideas to people outside, like that don't identify as artists. Um, yeah. is really empowering too to people to understand that we are all artists and we're all, you know, creating our own perception of our experience, whether you're an accountant or a painter, it's like you're still a creator and right. it can be very inspiring to people um, to, to understand that, you know? Well, and as the business changes, I mean, you guys' business in, the, in television and film is going to, this will change everything, I think, for a while, because I keep reading that they're going to do more animation, you know, and they're still figuring out how to do productions. And so, I mean, your business is, my business, I don't even know if all my galleries are going to reopen. I, I, I don't have a clue. They already were kind of going month to month. So it's going to be very interesting how we all work together going forward. And I think, yeah. I think the most important thing is that, like in my business, the artists and the galleries have to work really closely together now because I have a, a decent following on social media and I do a lot of my own press and I want them to work with me, you know, not separated out because that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You're still creating a brand. I'm like, you're creating a brand, humanizing the icon. The only reason you named it something like that is to give some, it, it gives something that people can reach out to and go, mm -hmm. I know what this is. I connect with this. Mm -hmm. I under, I love the icons, you know, whatever the different layers that adds more layers for people to remember who you are, and what mm -hmm. your project was. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, they might not even know that you're dealing with Mary Pickford at first. They didn't, I just like the idea that, that you came out with this great concept of humanizing the icon. Mm -hmm. So I think all that's, that's really important. That's really powerful. Um, oh, people are, oh, we're getting thumbs up on Instagram. <laughs> From Photomundo, Clinton Wallace, actually. Um, all right, great. Well, is there anything else that you want to ask me or any closing words you want to share with the people? I, no, I'm, I, you know, I, the, it's, these things are so important. And I like that you and I are doing this kind of cross media thing uh, mm -hmm. because I, I really, I don't really know you. I, I love the work that you did in Venice and that's what brought us together. And I, I think that things like that are so important. I, and I also think that artists have to get out of California. They have to show it around the world. I mean, it was not easy for you, I would imagine, to do your, your film in Venice any more than it was for me to show, do a show in Venice because Venice is the most difficult city on the planet to do anything in. But mm. I think that it's so important. And you've got a whole other audience and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that I, I got to meet you and the project and I hope that we stay friends a long time because of that. Me too. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface in our phone call and, and in this chat. And I think we can go a lot deeper and I'm really, really excited about it because I respect your work a lot. Um, Same here. And good luck with the webinar. I think that's so good. So cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll share the episodes with you. And um, how can people find your work? Is it your website or... Well, my name, I'm pretty Googleable, so it's just my name and everything. Even on my website, I have um, videos and images of all of my exhibitions. I keep everything cool. there today because it's very important. <laughs> do you do that yourself? Uh, my partner does most of it for me because I'm not so computer savvy. <laughs> okay. As you saw, trying to set up the Instagram with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, good for you being up to date. My website is not up to date. So, uh, we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there yeah. well thank you so much for doing this so this this whole episode is going to be on humanizing the icon the youtube channel um and todd williamson is the guest today and it, we met in the venice biennale so check out his art and check out uh, our mary pickford project that's being released tomorrow uh why not choose cool. love a mary pickford manifesto um all right, so I'm gonna sign us off of Instagram and then I will sign us off of Facebook. So, Prack yeah. Art says interesting talk and thank you. Thank you, Instagram Thanks, people. Okay, bye. bye. All right, so end video. So that's gonna end up going to IGTV. That's super cool. And let's see what's going on on Facebook and I will get us off of there. Um, oh, bunch of people came. Christy Tingle. Oh, 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 we have to take our headset out. Headset out. And then turn our end video. So that's going to end up going to IGTV. That's super cool. And let's. Okay, there we go. Is your volume back up? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I was saying uh, Christy Tingle Higginbotham. Hey, Christy. She said hi. 
Christie is an amazing singer and actress that I really? knew in college, yes. Oh, cool. You knew her in college, is that what you said? Yeah, she oh. lives in Birmingham, Alabama. Amazing, amazing vocalist, enormous voice. She should meet my friend Burton, also an artist that showed in Italy in our exhibit, who lives partially in Alabama. <laughs> you, you talked about there's so many amazingly talented people in Birmingham. It, it's a, a great city. I, I miss Birmingham. Oh, I, he really wants me to go there. And now I'm like even more inspired. So I want to go. I'm like, I like places like that, you know? They have an amazingly strong theater uh, in Birmingham. Uh, the, uh, the group that, that supports it, the group that's part of it, the performance. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really unbelievable because Birmingham is not a huge city, but it, they, have, they have a great symphony. I mean, it's, it's a mm -hmm. I love discovering that in places that feel obscure to New York and LA people. It's like, no, there's a lot going on in the country. Yeah. I think that, you know, every city has its own little things, but the, 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 there's some cities, I, I think most people wouldn't think that about Birmingham, but Birmingham is, has a, it's very sophisticated. It has a real wonderful culture to it. Mm, how often do you go? Well, my mom lives about an hour north of Birmingham, so I go home three or four times a year. I don't get down to Birmingham to see everyone as much as I used to because mom doesn't want me to leave the house when I go home. <laughs> she wants you all to herself. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, um, we can say bye to our Facebook friends. All right. Thank you, everyone. Ciao. All right, I'm going to stop the live stream. All right. That was amazing. Very cool. Yeah, we just vibed. Good. I'm excited to watch it, actually. Me too. It looked like you had a, a pretty good audience on there. Yeah, during the day, it's funny, but yeah, on Facebook, we did, and Instagram, a bunch of people popped in here and there, so it's nice, and I'll let you know when the full episode is up. Okay, hon. Well, it's good to see you. Have a great weekend. You have fun in Palm Springs, right? I'm going to. I'm going to do nothing. Well, the casino has opened. Yay! And so I'm going to go out to eat, and I'm going to go gamble. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call um, Jessica Rich, too. I'm excited. Yeah, you guys definitely need to connect. She's very good. Okay, yeah, I checked her out. She seems awesome. She, she has like a good energy, I can already tell. She's super smart too. Really knows the art side of video. So. Cool, cool. Good person to push your boundaries. Yay, all right. I might even call her today. She sent her cell phone, so. Thank you so much for doing this, Todd. I really appreciate it. We'll all right. Yeah, we'll talk next week. Bye. Okay. Bye.